there'd been a misunderstanding somewhere in this chain of people that I didn't know about on the price. And the vendor thought it was one price and I thought it was another. And being overseas had, had changed things in terms of, in terms of uh, lending we could get. So we ended up in this position where I owned one flat, someone I was working with owned another flat and the owner owned the third flat. And we, it took us 10 years to fix that. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk. But to win big, you have got to reduce it. To join our community, go to myworstinvestmentever.com and receive five free benefits. First, you get the risk reduction checklist I created from the lessons I've learned from all my guests. And my goodness, that is super valuable. Second, you get my weekly email to help you increase your investment return. Third, you get a 25% discount on all A Stats Academy courses. Fourth, you get access to our Facebook community to get to know guests and fellow listeners. And finally, you get my curated list of my favorite 10 episodes. Fellow risk takers, this is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stotts from A Stotts Academy. And I'm here with featured guest, Julie Talbot. Julie, are you ready to rock? I am, yes. <laughs> so let me introduce you to the audience. Julie Talbot is growing a UK property portfolio from Abu Dhabi, where she lives with her husband and twin daughters. She's completed 25 property projects since 2017. And ladies and gentlemen, listen carefully. Two of her rules are she doesn't fly back to the UK and her phone doesn't ring. Julie, take a minute and fill any further tidbits about your life. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, well, it's rules. It's rules driven, really. I, um, I've been a landlord since 2009 when we first you know, moved over to Abu Dhabi, bought a few houses before we moved over here. And then thought, yeah, that's what I'll, you know, that's what I'll do. I've exited corporate. Husband has the exact job. And there's a big gap of time, which we'll cover later. But these days, life's very much about being, you know, present for the kids, growing the portfolio, but making it fit into life and just keeping things simple. You know, I want to be spontaneous and with family and with life and just making sure that, you know, that the property goals and everything fits in, fits in around that rather than work leading life. Yeah, I mean, that, I think that's one of the things that's really attractive about your lifestyle and the way that you built it. You know, other people are shooting for different goals, but for the listeners out there that are saying, I like property and I also want to balance that lifestyle. I think that, you know, getting to know you and what you're doing is, you know, a great idea. And by the way, for anybody that does want to connect with you, What's the best way? I think we talked about that earlier. Facebook is the best way? Yeah, yeah, I'm on, I'm on Facebook, okay. yeah. And we'll have the links to all that in the show notes and any other things that we come up with as we go through the discussion. Oh. So, well, now it's time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to it and then tell us your story. Oh, gosh, okay. So it probably starts 2007. I exited corporate world and wanted to start my own business. It took a few years to figure out what it was, tried a few things, and realized in 2009 that it was property. So 
did some training, just realized that, you know, I would want to be a professional landlord. I could just see how that model worked, how I could grow the portfolio. It really sat well with my values. I'd been brought up in rental accommodation. So I just, it just pressed all, all, all of my buttons. So, you know, got some education, did some training, you know, worked with a, worked with a coach and bought a few houses quite quickly within 2009. And that was one of those crazy years where, you know, lots of stuff happens, right? We got married, we decided to move overseas with my husband's work. And I was just like, right, well, yeah, I can just keep on repeating what I've done this year, year on year. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's the beauty of this podcast. Oh, the yeah. listeners are thinking, yeah, what could go wrong? I've proven my model. I've bought a few houses. I'll just buy this number of houses every year for the next few years. I'll just repeat what I've already done. So moved overseas. And, and at that point, I made an assumption, I suppose, which was that I couldn't, well, two, two things. Firstly, I made an assumption that I couldn't carry on doing it as I had been doing it, which was, you know, viewing the houses myself and all that kind of thing. I assumed that because I was four and a half thousand miles away and because I didn't want to be flying to the UK, I assumed that I would have to work with somebody on the ground to do stuff for me. So give away, you know, some of my, you know, choices about exactly where I wanted properties and stuff like that. And also the third thing that I didn't do, well, no, I won't point to what I didn't do. It's a story, isn't it? So, so I started to work with somebody else to help me, to help me grow the portfolio so that I didn't have to fly back to the UK. And I ended up also... They found me a few houses, which fell through for different reasons. You know, so they'd find me one, I'd say yes, and then another buyer would come in and, you know, and then find another one and the same. So I started to feel bad that they were doing stuff for me and weren't getting paid. And, you know, it was all their time and they got paid when I completed on a purchase, right? So then they came up with something that, you know, something else that met my criteria. So we started to move on it. It wasn't my usual type of profile of property. It was a small block of flats. I'd normally bought, you know, family houses, which are small block of flats. But I just thought, well, you know, it meets my criteria. It's in my area. And we agreed a sale, but for various reasons, ended up not buying them all at the same time. So the vendor held one. I bought two. And someone I was working at the time bought, bought another one. And then we went to complete on, on the third one a few months later. And a few things happened. Um, they had, there'd been a misunderstanding somewhere in this chain of people that I didn't know about on the price. And the vendor thought it was one price and I thought it was another. And, you know, being, being overseas had, had changed things in terms of, in terms of uh, lending we could get. So we ended up in this position where I owned one flat, someone I was working with owned another flat and the owner owned the third flat. And we, it took us 10 years to fix that. <sighs> So I spent a lot of time under the table crying. I didn't know how to fix this problem. Mm. And I ended up pausing buying for seven years because I was just, couldn't just, you know, felt embarrassed about it. I didn't talk to anybody about it. I felt really ashamed. Like I just kind of, kind of couldn't believe that I'd ended up in this, in this position really. So yeah, spent, spent seven years just, knowing it was a problem, approaching the vendor every so often to say, look, you know, can we agree a price? But he, in this chain of people who'd been involved in the sale, he'd said he'd wanted to sell for one price. And somehow I'd been told that he was selling this third unit for a different price. And they were so, they were so far apart. We'd have a little joke in a negotiation, but we, we, couldn't, even, we couldn't even agree. So every, every couple of years, we'd have a little laugh about it. 
we're never mm. going to agree so we'd come back um so it was only around yeah 10 10 years later that we you know just started to get serious because it needed to be owned by by one person the whole block well, just, can, you explain, can you explain why just for the amateurs like me why does it need to be owned by one person what are the complications that that causes I suppose it doesn't need to be, you know, need is probably the wrong word to use, but for it to be the best, you know, for it to be the best asset, you know, mm. you, as an investor, you kind of want to own the block. If one person owns one and another person owns another, then, you know, if one of those people were to sell then to somebody else, then you've got, you know, uh, communal area things to to handle. Whereas if you mm. own on the block, you just, you just having a conversation with yourself about when right. you're going to do things. So it's a better investment opportunity if you're owning right. all of it. And um, were you able, ever able to unravel that? Yeah. So it took two years. So then the other worst bit was it took, it took two years once we agreed, maybe it was just shy of two years. Once we agreed a price and, you know, to move forward and everything, it then took a couple of years to unravel it and to fix it because we then found, I found out over the years that there was um, in the UK that some properties are leasehold and then there tends to be a freeholder above that, mm. which normally are the same person, but can be different people. Uh, and there was quite a complicated lease chain involved, right. quite a complicated lease chain involved, which again was another thing that just sent me into fits of tears because I didn't know how to fix it. And when I seemed to ask anybody how to fix it, nobody else had come across this, this type of situation before. And um, so, yeah, all around, it was just, you know, everywhere I looked, it was just like fire, 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 fire. <laughs> it was almost just easier to stay in the same situation because moving forward was just like everything seemed unsolvable. Can you remember a particular day, maybe when you were talking to your husband or when you were sitting all alone or you were talking with a friend or whatever that... It was like the weight of it all kind of really hit you. <laughs> so many days like that. Mm. Uh, uh, well, I'd realize other things that I hadn't, I hadn't realized about the deal. I think there was, there was one day when I found or realized the, the complexity in, in the leases. And I guess what had changed was I had a bit more knowledge as the years had passed. So when I went mm -hmm. back to look and I saw all these and I just thought, that's that's not right. There's never normally that many. And that was the day I realized there was something else that I'd not realized had, had been a problem in this whole situation. Like, so like, like one oh. more thing. <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh. yeah. So let's go through the lessons that you learned, because I know now you are very successful and, you know, I think the audience really can benefit from what you learned. So what did I learn? Well, I mean, really, really distilling it and, and not being property specific. You know, you don't know what you don't know. That was the first thing, you know. It seemed like a logical thing to go into, you know. Buying houses, it's just three flats, you know. Surely it's going to be the same. Mm. But there was so many bits that I didn't know. But you don't know what you don't know, right? Um, and another one, I think, is that your perception is your reality. So I'd made a really big assumption, which was I'm thousands of miles away. I can't grow my portfolio in the way that I have done so far, the way that I've started to. I need, and therefore that led me to assume that I needed to work with somebody else. I didn't even take a moment to check in on, on any of those assumptions. It was just an, an assumption. So my, my perception was my reality of, of how I had to work. Mm. And another thing I learned is that 
you know, if you, when you do anything new, just the, the value of being connected with somebody who's, who's done it before or, or who's been through it. You know, when I, when I bought the, the first few houses, I'd had the mentoring and the education. And as I took this, this step into something that was a bit new and different, I wasn't still working with the same, you know, the same people. So I was, I was thinking I'd be okay. And to unpick all this, coincidentally, I ended up working with somebody who just knew and got all this. So, you know, I really learned that when you're doing something, you know, and you're entrepreneurial, and there's not always a training course for, for these things. It's like, you know, now I'll always reach out to somebody who's done what I want to do. And, you know, I'll, I'll work with them one-on-one just to help me, help me get through the first one or two of the new thing I want to do. So that's three there. Waffled mm. a bit. But yeah, <laughs> I think that's great. I just have been writing down a bunch of things and uh, I want to share kind of what I took away from your story. Well, the first thing I, I'm going to talk about, the last thing I just wrote down as you were talking and I wrote down DSG. And DSG is a guy named David Seitman Garland. And I bought a course from him called How to Create Awesome Online Courses. Mm-hmm. And he, he's great. I just like, he really like what he does and what he is and what he stands for. We were in the Facebook group and one of the members of the group said, you know, and he was talking about how you title your course. And one of the members said, my friend told me that I should title it this way. And he just said, how many millions of dollars of, of revenue has your friend generated from courses? Oh, zero. Uh, you better follow me because I've already done $5 million worth of value of courses. <laughs> so it just made me think of that story and that story yeah. to remind me, go to an expert. You know, and I, I think about, like, I know finance very well. And I know one thing I always tell entrepreneurs who have their own businesses, they tell me, like, what's your advice? And I say, I have one piece of advice. Close your books every single month. Close your financial statements every single month with the help of an accountant and mm-hmm. you will reveal all of your problems. Yeah. And as a result, you will have to be facing them and solving them. And the result is, is that you've, that's probably the best advice that I can give. And that brought me to, uh, and that, again, that's kind of take advice from an expert. Yeah. Uh, and even, I mean, an expert can seem like somebody who's, an expert is really, a really important, right? But mm. sometimes they can just seem so far ahead of you that it can be like overwhelming. So sometimes it's like someone who's a bit further ahead than you, you know, mm. who can pull you along to their, to their spot, right? Yeah, I mean, that's a great point for the listener out there. Just find someone that's a little bit ahead of you and ask, you know, if you could talk to them. But also what I've learned from the podcast, Julie, is that I've reached out to a lot of people that are big name and that and this and that and yeah. They're willing to talk, you know. I just got David Allen from Getting Things Done, one of my favorite books, and he's just oh, yeah? come come on the show and he's just his episode's just coming out. And yeah, I was just I'm just surprised that, you know, that a lot of people that are big, if you can reach out to them, they may talk to you. So Yeah. Very, so that that's a great great lesson. I think the other thing is I wrote down the word complicated. You know, anything that gets complicated, let that be a warning bell. And I was an analyst for many years visiting companies and I would take fund managers or myself, I'd go alone and I'd meet the CEOs of companies. And I I just really came to the conclusion that if they can't clearly explain what they're doing, there's a problem. Mm -hmm. And if it's really difficult for me to understand, then there's a problem. And it can be sometimes a problem of fraud and deceit. But other times it's just that, you know, they're just into something that's way too complicated and maybe they can make money out of it. 
but it's going to be hard for me or my clients to make money out of it. Mm -hmm. Now, the other thing is you talked about unknown risks, the risks that you don't know, right? Yeah. And I wrote that down and I wrote down that unfortunately you'll be punished for those unknowns, you know, and unknowables, you know, there's, there's no mercy out there in the world of business. And that means that you are going to face a situation that you could never have predicted and it was unknown. Now you're going to face many situations that are predictable, but here we go. If we just say, Hey, I'm going to face a situation that's just unknown and it would have been unknowable. We're already right there. We're thinking about it in a head, you know, ahead. And that means that you've got to think of risk management ideas like, not overextending yourself in any one particular investment, because if you come up against that unknowable, then, you know, you could, you could be in trouble. So it just reminds me that, you know, business is full of risk. There's a lot of risks that we can see and we can try to mitigate and we should, but then there's risks that you can't see. And, you know, to to give an example, You know, the risk that we can see when we drive a car is that we have a potential of a car accident, so we put on a seatbelt. But the other day I was watching a a video on YouTube and there was a a car driving down the road, not that fast, but, you know, just chugging down the road. And there's a guy walking along with this huge steel pipe and he turns and the steel pipe then proceeds to go directly through the windshield of the car and smash through. Now, luckily, the driver wasn't hurt, but there's an unknown and an unknowable. Yeah. You know, yeah, and, and it just, yeah. And that's the really, I, exactly to that analogy, that's a really great thing when you, you know, when you work with people one to one, isn't it? That you can just say when you're hearing them tell you something, you can say, just duck in a minute. <laughs> or, you know, for me, when I'm, I do a little bit of work with some, with some of the experts who do similar things to me, and I can say, just, just check that or just say that at this stage. And because, you know, no one knows what they don't know. So it's, mm. yeah, that's the power of being able to call things out with people, isn't it? Yeah. And the, yeah, the world is just tough, you know, it, you will be punished for that, you know. So let me ask you now, based upon what you learn and what you continue to learn, what one action would you recommend our listeners take to avoid suffering the same fate? I would say, so it's for, you know, any expat who's, who's looking to, you know, to grow a portfolio from overseas, don't believe or let the miles be a barrier. You've got all the same options that you would have if you were four miles away from where you want to buy than you have if you're 4,000 miles away. What stops you is a mindset of thinking, I'm far away, therefore I can't, therefore I've got to do something differently. You've not. You can scale a portfolio the same way, 4,000 miles away. If you would, if you were four miles away, you just need to do a few things differently. Um, So... If anyone's wanting to do the same things, then, you know, take that step back and consider your options. And, and, and that's what I did in 2017. Mm. I thought, right, now I've got, to, I've got to step back, consider my options and actually find a way of making it work the way I want to make it work. And all that changed was my mindset. And then I started to make it work. That's exciting. And I know for the listeners out there, if you're thinking about building a, let's say, a long distance portfolio, you know, Come to the show notes. All the links will be here to connect with Julie to learn how she's doing it and see if you can avoid some of these mistakes. I like the quote by Otto von Bismarck, which says, only a fool learns from his mistakes. 
a wise man learns from the mistakes of others. And that's what this podcast is all about. And I think just to comment on what you've just shared, let the distance, you know, cause you to have a more rigorous process too. Oh, exactly. Totally. I mean, that's because I've got my rules. When I come across a problem, for a landlord who lived four miles away, they might jump in the car and drive down there in the middle of the night or whatever. But for me, it's like, okay, this thing's happened. I've got to find a way to solve whatever that problem is within my rules. And you find some really amazing solutions, right, that you would never have known existed. So every problem and challenge that comes up, you just because you're really clear on how you want to make it work, you find a, you find a solution that you didn't even know was there. Mm. Um, mm. It's amazing. Yeah. All right. Last question. What's your number one goal for the next 12 months? I'm going to, I'm going to carry on living like, you know, simply, spontaneously, sustainably living by, you know, my rules and growing the portfolio at the same, at the same time through the portfolio, we part of the income, the residual income that generate funds programs that we want to support long-term in Ethiopia. It's like a 50, mm. like hundred year plan. So I'm just carrying on, you know, carrying on doing what I'm doing. Exciting. Well, listeners, there you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning. My number one goal for the next 12 months is to help you, my listeners, reduce risk and increase return in your life. To achieve this, I've created our community. It's at myworstinvestmentever.com, and I look forward to seeing you there. As we conclude, Julie, I want to thank you again for coming on this show. And Thank on you behalf, for having me. Yeah. And on behalf of A.E. Stotts Academy, I'm officially allowed to announce that you are hereby awarded alumni status for turning your worst investment ever into your best teaching moment. Do you have any parting words for the audience? Just have a wonderful day. Beautiful. And I'm going to close this by asking the question to the audience, and I'm going to ask it to myself for all of us to think. What are your rules? Julie's the first person to come on the podcast to say, I've got rules. I've got this structure. So I want to ask everybody to think about your rules. Write them down and start building them out like Julie has taught us. And that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and protect our well fellow risk takers. This is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stott, saying I'll see you on The Upside.